And it is the last week of our series, Unlocking the Music Vault. In the series, we're talking about issues that we have a tendency to lock up in the vault of our life. And after a period of time, we just tolerate them. And before you know it, we just accept them as a regular part of life. But these things have a way of preventing us from living the life that God created us to live and being the person that God created us to be. Now, this week, we're going to wrap up the series by talking about the issue of pride. And just so you know, Webster defines pride as an inordinate amount of self-esteem. An inordinate amount of self-esteem. That's probably just a nice way of saying if you struggle with pride, you're a jerk, right? And that doesn't surprise us a whole lot because when we think about pride, you know, the synonyms, egotism, vanity, conceit, selfishness, arrogance. See, when we think of a prideful person, we think of an obnoxious, loudmouth, know-it-all kind of individual, kind of like a, you know, a New England Patriots fan, something along that line, right? But let's be honest, that's not always the case because some of the most pride-filled people you will ever meet are some of the most meek and mild and conservative individuals that you will ever, ever come across. But the bottom line is this, everybody struggles with pride. Yellow, red, black, white, doesn't matter. Old, young, doesn't matter. Educated, uneducated, doesn't matter. Rich, poor, We all struggle with pride. Everybody wants to rule the world. And the reality is we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about how God feels about pride. In fact, I can just give you one verse that kind of sums it up. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Here it is. I hate pride and arrogance. Any questions? None whatsoever. God says, I absolutely hate pride. And I think that the reason that God hates pride so much is he's so aware of the chaos, the troubles, the problems, the damage that it creates in so many areas of our lives. For example, pride, if you think about it, it hurts your relationship with God. If you struggle with pride, I'm telling you, you're going to be distanced from God. And here's some warning signs that this could be a reality in your life. For example, if you just have a basic lack of of interest in worshiping God, there's a good chance you struggle with pride. Because, see, I don't know about you, but when pride takes over in my life, everything orbits around me. It's all about my schedule, my time, my needs, my plans, my activities, my desires. And instead of worshiping God, all of a sudden I worship myself. And if you wonder if that describes you, I'll give you a little exercise. This coming week or over the next few days, get a journal, get a little notebook, and and write out your prayers to God. And what you may discover is that your prayers resemble a shopping list. God, I need a man. Now, I don't, but maybe you do. No, you do. (laughs) Or I need a woman, and I don't need one of those either. My wife's here this service, see? But that may be your case. God, I need a job. God, I need more money. God, I need a new car. God, I need to pay the rent. God, I need to make sure I pass this exam. There's nothing wrong with praying for any of those things unless that's all you pray for. But if we're honest, most of our prayer life, which should be a time of worshiping God for his omnipotent and and, and his omnipresent and just his faithfulness and his forgiveness, if we're honest, most of our prayer life sounds like I, 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 me, 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 mine, 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 mine. You know, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. But when it comes to worshiping God, do you worship him? Or at the end of the day, is it all about you? And another indicator that pride may be hurting your relationship with God is that you just have a basic lack of interest or lack of involvement in God's agenda. 
You don't really care. I mean, this is what Jesus said. Interesting statement, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom. In other words, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Now, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, but this is what Jesus was basically saying that day. If you will put Jesus first, or if you will put God first in every area of your life, if you will seek his kingdom first, if you'll seek his righteousness first, God's going to have your back in every area of your life. But this is what I've noticed over the years. Self-centered people, people that battle pride, these are people who don't seek first the kingdom of God. I guarantee you if you battle pride, you don't serve selflessly. I guarantee you, you don't give generously. You probably don't go out of your way to share the story of how God is changing your life. My guess is you don't put others first. And because the simple reason, you're not, you don't have time to build God's kingdom. You're too busy building your own kingdom. You don't have time to pursue and be a part of God's agenda because you're so busy pursuing your own agenda. And I'll just give you a little example. It's a chance for me to give an update. A few weeks ago, I told you that we came up about $625,000 short in our Apex facility. And I thought it'd be so cool if we could just raise that money, get it out of the way so it's not hanging over our heads all year or taking some of the money out of our budget that we want to use to impact our local community and what we're doing around the world. And many of you responded, and so far we've had over $400,000 come in. We're still about $200,000 short. I did find out this week that we have to March 10th. And it's not a big deal because if you think about the number of people who attend church, it, it comes out to about 50 or 60 bucks a person. If we just gave that extra, that money would be taken care care of. And I hope you'll do that. And, and in fact, if you're one of those individuals whom you only give once a year, if you could go ahead and give that right now, that would be incredible. And then you're kind of off the hook for the rest of the year. How cool is that, right? But the reality is some of you heard that and your thought was, he, I know he's not talking to me. Mm-mm. Because I got my own kingdom to build. I got my own agenda to pursue. And that's just the way you think, right? But I'm telling you, the people who are making a difference in God's kingdom are people who have a heart for giving. They're people who have a heart for serving, for putting other people first. It's just part of their DNA. It's who they are. And as a result, they find themselves immersed in God's agenda. They find themselves immersed in what God is doing. But I'm going to tell you something. If you struggle with pride, if it's locked up in the vault of your life and you don't want to do anything with it, see, what happens is if that describes you, you often feel that you're above doing those kinds of things. Or that when it comes to God's agenda you're kind of like the exception, right? For example, you know, sometimes we say, hey, we want us to all park off site if we attend regularly because our visitors who come for the first time, if they get here a little late and the parking lot's full, they don't know where to go and odds are they never come back again. And I know when I say, hey, would you guys park off site and leave those sites for our new guests? You know what people think? Well, <laughs> obviously that's for everyone else. He doesn't know how important I am, right? Right? <laughs> or serving, serving children. I mean, it's important that we serve people, that we greet people, that we work in Kid City. And I know that when I say that, this is what a lot of you are thinking. You're thinking, Mike, come on. Wear an orange vest in the parking lot? That is a fashion faux pas. I could never, ever lower myself to do that. Work with children, Mike, don't you know I'm a CFO? I'm a CIO. I'm a CEO. I'm a COO. I'm a UFO. You know, nobody got time for that, Mike. Nobody's got time to work with children. But let me tell you an interesting story. Uh, I have a friend here, and about, oh, years ago when he started attending, I said, so what do you do? He says, I work at SAS. I said, ah, I heard that's a pretty good place to work. I said, what do you do? He says, uh, 
I just make PowerPoints. I'm like, PowerPoints? I should give you a job at Hope. I can probably pay you eighteen dollars to $20,000 a year. At least you'd have a purpose in life, right? And he's like, no, I, th I think I'll just stay at SAS. But then I found out, not from him, but from other people, that he actually represents SAS to the industry, uh, in energy industry around the world. This is a guy who flies on their private plane with Mr. Goodnight, who started SAS. This is a guy who will be in Barcelona this week, Switzerland the next week, Germany the next week, representing the energy community, SAS to the energy community. He is a big shot. But do you know what he does every Sunday morning at 11.15, and he's done it for 10 years? He's a small group leader to four- and five-year-old boys in Kid City. And I asked him, yeah, you ought to get that. And I asked him one time why he did that, and he says, Mike, I'll tell you why I do it. I realized that for a lot of those young boys that I have in my class, they come from a single mom home, and this may be the only chance they have all week to be influenced by a Christian man. And that's why I do it. See, he puts others first. But maybe, maybe for you, serving is beneath you. You know, maybe you just feel, hey, I am so important keeping the world rotating on its axis that you're just the exception to putting, putting others first or seeking first the kingdom of God. But I'm just gonna tell you as a friend, I don't want this to come across as a pastor. I'm just gonna tell you, like if we're having coffee together, you need to understand and we don't think about this because it's kind of out of sight and out of mind. It's almost like I'll deal with it then. But I'm telling you, one day as a Christian, you're going to stand before God. And he's going to ask you, tell me how you were involved in my agenda. Tell me how you were involved in building my kingdom. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of you are going to be really, really embarrassed. Do you know why? It's because you spent your life investing in your own kingdom. You spent your life pursuing your own agenda. Another warning sign that pride is hurting your relationship with God is that you just have a simple lack of appreciation for what God is doing in your life. For example, maybe you achieve something at work, you accomplish something in your career, you get a promotion, you get a raise, you get some kind of an award, and you would never say this to anyone, you would never share this in your small group, but maybe while you're driving home you think things like, man, I am so talented. I am so gifted, I am, so, I am such a great leader. I'm so lucky, I have such a winsome personality. God must be so impressed by what I've made of myself. But my point is you take credit for all of the good things that are going on in your life. But there was a verse we looked at a few weeks ago. Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you, have bo why do you boast as though you did not? Paul's simply saying something that deep down we need to know. If you have any kind of ability, God gave it to you. God gave you the drive to do what you do. He's the one who gave you your skills, blessed you with your personality. But we often forget that. Now, let me just say there's nothing wrong with pride if it's the right kind of pride. If, if we're doing the thing that God has called us to do, and when we're successful at it, we make sure that God gets the credit and the glory as he's worked through our lives. But the minute we take the focus off of God and we put it on ourselves, we've crossed the line. And then we're into that dangerous area of pride. So let me just ask you a question. Who gets credit in your life? Now, I know what everybody's going to say. Jesus. Jesus, right? I mean, you watch the pro athletes. 
you know, right? All right, they get interviewed after the game. I just want to praise God, forgive him. Let me just say this. The secret is not revealed by who you say gets the credit for your life. The secret is revealed by how you actually live your life. But I'm telling you, pride will distance you from God. Pride will hurt your relationship with God. But not only will it hurt your relationship with God, pride will also hurt your relationship with others, with one another. And what would be the case that maybe that's happening in your life? And here's here's the question you need to ask yourself. Am I open and honest with others? In other words, does anybody really know the real you? Not just the image management side that you put out there on social media, right? But does anybody really know what's locked up in the vault of your life? And I got to tell you, that's an important question because pride has a way of keeping us from being vulnerable, from being authentic, from being transparent. And as a result, you know what happens? It destroys our relationships. In fact, it kind of hit me as I was preparing this week, and this, this message has been a nightmare. I mean, if you could see my notes, there's more marked out and written. And in fact, I got up at three o'clock. I was in my office at three o'clock on Wednesday morning, rewriting the whole thing because it's just been such a challenge this week. But as I was working on this message this week, it hit me that pretty much everything we've talked about in this series, everything that we have a tendency to lock up in the vault of our life, you know what the root is? It's pride. It's just pride. I mean, go back to the very, how about anger? Remember we talked about anger? And we said that if you lock anger up in the vault of your life, man, it's going to bring problems. You're giving the Satan a foothold, a stronghold in your life to wreak havoc in your life. And you would think everybody's like, "Woo, I got to get it out, right? And we said the only way you can get anger out of your life is you've got to actually forgive the people who've hurt you, abused you, taken advantage of you. Not only forgive them, you've got to forget it. You've got to put it behind you, intentionally do that so you can move forward into the future free. And we stress the fact that forgiveness isn't for the person who offends you. Forgiveness is for your own well-being. But here's the reality. Some of you watching me online at the other campuses, some of you sitting here at Raleigh this morning, the reality is this, you're still so angry. I mean, right below the surface of your life, what everybody sees, you are still seething. Do you know why? Pride. Pride. You're thinking, Mike, if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook. If I forgive them, I'm I'm letting them get away for what they did to me. And you don't want to let them off the hook. You You don't want them to get away with what they've done to you. You want retribution. You want to retaliate. You want them to pay. You want your pound of flesh. And pride is what's preventing you from having that freedom to move forward in your life. How about temptation? Donnie talked about we all, we all have things in our life that tempt us, and more often than not, we stumble and we fall into that temptation. And Donnie talked about, you know, some of the things we can do is, one, we can shed some light on it. We can let someone know about it. We can have an accountability partner. And some of you, even though you heard the message and maybe you were challenged by it, because of pride, you didn't do any of those. You're like, I'm not going to be accountable to anybody. And you're still stumbling and falling into the same temptation every day. Pride. How about greed? I made my money. I worked hard to get this money. Why in the world would I give it away? Why would I be a person of generosity? Pride. Lust. 
We said last week that God created sex for a husband and wife and a marriage, committed marriage relationship. But yet God has a plan for everyone outside of that. It's called celibacy. And some of you walked out of here thinking, I'm not going to let some old man with no hair, you know, sit up there and tell me I got to live a celibate life. I'm going to live the life I want to live. Pride. How about racism? We saw in James chapter 2, it is a sin. It's not your personality. It's not how you were raised. It's not what part of the country you were from. It is a sin. But some of you today still discriminate right off whole groups of people because of pride. You think you're better than they are. You think you're actually superior to them. I'm telling you, pride puts up walls. Pride builds barriers. Pride separates us. It destroys intimacy. I'll tell you, every marriage problem, and I've learned this over the year, every marriage problem you're going to have in your marriage relationship will have its root in pride. It always go back to pride. My need isn't being met. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. All goes back to pride. <sighs> so what do we do about our pride? It's distancing us in our relationship with God. It's distancing us in our relationships with one another. We got to do something about it because God has created us to be in an authentic, intimate relationship with him. He's also created us to be in authentic, intimate relationships with one another. So what do we do about our pride? There's an interesting verse over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says this. All of you, and he's speaking to Christians, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because, and then he quotes Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. I like the old translation. He gives grace to the humble. So Peter says, this is the way you deal with pride. You've got to undress. You've got to strip down. You've got to begin to lay aside all of those issues of pride in your life. And you've got to redress. And how you redress is you put on humility. And most of us, we don't even like that word, right? We don't even care for that word. But I'm telling you, just as generosity is the only thing in your life that can break the grip of greed. I'm telling you, humility is the only thing that can break the grip of pride in your life. But see, when we think about humility, we think about being weak. We think about being spineless. Man, if you're a humble person in today's culture, people are going to walk all over you. You're going to be a doormat for everybody in your life. Or maybe we think about humility. We think somebody just all shucks. You know, I'm just not even worthy. You know, this is what Warren Wearsby says. And I love this. He says, humility is not demeaning yourself. That's false humility. Humility is simply not thinking about yourself at all. In other words, we become so others-centered that we do not worry about ourselves. What would that look like in our lives? What would it look like for us to become so others-centered that we don't even worry about ourselves? Well, if you have your Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. John chapter 13 is a very, very familiar passage. It's a story of that that night when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Let me just give you the scene if you're turning. It's the Passover. The scene is the upper room. It's that picture that uh, Da Vinci painted for us where all the disciples are sitting on one side of the table posing, right? That, the upper room, okay? It's the last night. The guys don't know it. The disciples don't know it. It's the last night that Jesus is going to spend with his disciples. He's got a lot on his mind. Now, understand in those days in the first century, when you threw a dinner party, 
you made sure that when everyone arrived, you had a servant to wash their feet. And the reasons, you wore sandals, you walked through the dirty streets of Jerusalem. When it rained, they were muddy, not to mention you shared them with all the animals. So you had a servant and everybody removed their shoes and the servant would wash their feet as they came into the house. If you were getting together with a group of friends and you didn't have a servant, tradition was the first person, the protocol, the first person that would arrive would actually take the role of washing everyone's feet. To which many of you are thinking, I would be fashionably late to every dinner party. <laughs> right? So let's not be too hard on the disciples. Just like for us, because of their pride, nobody took that role. So when we look at this, understand we have Jesus in an upper room with 12 guys and 24 really dirty feet. Okay, that's what's going on. John 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. That's what Jesus is thinking about. That is what is on his mind. He is preoccupied with death. He realizes that he is just a few hours from hanging on a cross. But understand what's bothering him, what's upsetting him, is not the fact that he's going to be hanging on the cross. It's not the fact that in just a few hours, a soldier's gonna beat him within an inch of his life with a cat of nine tails. It's not that they're gonna take a crown of thorns and push it into his skull. It's not even they're gonna drive spikes through his hands and feet and attach him to a cross. It's Jesus knows that some moment in time while he is on that cross, God is going to pour out on him, place on him, all the sins that will ever be committed by humanity. And God, Jesus on that cross, he is going to bear the guilt, the shame, and the consequences of all the sins of mankind. He who knew no sin, Jesus knew in just a few hours, would become sin for us. But that's not even what's bothering him. What's really bothering him is when that happens, when God puts all the sins of the world on his shoulders, he knows that the father he has had nothing but an intimate relationship with is going to turn his back on him. He's never experienced that. There's going to be a moment when he says, why have you forsaken me. That's what Jesus is struggling with. That's what he's working through. That, in fact, he's getting ready to go out in the garden of Gethsemane and sweat drops of blood. If there's any other way to avoid this, now's the time to tell me, right? That's what's on his mind. That's what he's thinking about as he's sitting at this table, but he's surrounded by 12 pride-filled disciples who have been arguing and fighting over the past week about who's gonna be the greatest when he sets up his kingdom. Who's gonna have the most crucial cabinet seats? Who's gonna sit on his right hand? Who's gonna sit on his left hand? And according to Luke 22, it's probably taking place during this meal. I mean, maybe by now it's really heated up and there are chicken bones flying back and forth across the table. Now, if you're Jesus, you're sitting there thinking about the cross and you're having to listen to these obnoxious, arrogant, pride-filled men argue about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom what would your reaction have been? Well, you get in verse one. It says this, chapter 13, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It doesn't mean that he loved them right up into that moment where he drew his last breath, said it is finished and died. That's not what it means. The Greek word means he loved them to the maximum. In other words, even with all that was going on, there was no limitation to his love. Verse three, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. He had come from God. He's returning to God. So anything he does right now is okay. 
He's got the power to do it. He knows his destiny in a few hours. He's going to be back with the Father anyway. What do you do in this situation? See, I would get up and say, you know what, you bunch of losers. Let me just tell you something. Right? Right? Wouldn't you do that? He got up from the mill. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped the towel around his waist. I want to give you four characteristics of humility that just kind of jump out of this passage. Here's the first one. Humility doesn't need to be announced. Jesus didn't stand up clear his throat and say, I am now going to demonstrate what true humility looks like. Get out a pen, take notes. You're going to want this for the future. Didn't do that. You see, humility doesn't need to be announced. It's because humility is what we are more than what we say. So Jesus, he moves his outer clothing, removes his outer clothing. He gets the towel, verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, just, just imagine you're one of the disciples. You're fighting. You're debating about who's going to be the greatest. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this argument, the chicken bones that are flying, all of a sudden, you hear the splashing of water. And you realize what's going on. And you see Jesus, and you know that your turn is coming. Maybe he started with John, worked his way around to Matthew. Maybe you're next. So that would be a little threatening, wouldn't it? I mean, you, your feet are dirty, no doubt about it, but you know in your heart, that's not all that's dirty. Which brings me to the second characteristic. Humility allows you to see beneath the surface of a life. It allows you to be around people and see beneath the surface of their life. I mean, Jesus, because of his humility, he was able to see past their arguments, past their debating, past their fighting. And do you know what he saw? He saw pride. In other words, when Jesus washed their feet, he was doing more than just washing away dirt. He is communicating a lesson. Jesus is saying, listen, there's a lot more going on here than some dirty feet and some dirty toes. There's some deep needs that these dirty feet reveal. It's interesting, if you study the life of Jesus, you'll discover that he spent most of his time meeting the needs of people that they didn't even ask him to meet. I mean, think about the paralytic. His four friends wanted to get him to Jesus. Remember, they cut the hole in the roof of a house. I hope those people had insurance, right? And they lowered this guy down because they thought if we can just get him to Jesus, Jesus will fix him. And Jesus did. Because when Jesus saw him, he saw past his physical problems, his challenges, and you know what he said to him? Your sins are forgiven. Wow. You're going to spend all eternity with me in heaven. Wow. And then he said at the end, oh, by the way, get up and walk. But he dealt with the real issue. How about the woman caught in adultery? Remember that? The Pharisees, the religious leaders brought her to Jesus. What do we do with him? John says it was in order to test him. But Jesus knew the law of Moses, which these guys were very much aware of, said stoner. So this lady's thinking, can you please somehow intervene and get me out of this? And he did. He diffused the situation. He said, hey, listen, if any of you don't have any sin in your life, you've never sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. Anyone? Nope. I'll walk away. And she's left standing with Jesus. And she's probably thinking, "Woo, got to get back to work. Till Jesus said, oh, by the way, where's everybody that condemned you? They're gone. There is no one. And Jesus said, well, let's deal with the real issue here. I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. We have no idea how it changed the trajectory 
of her life. But Jesus had this incredible ability to see below the surface, to see what was really, really going on. Now, I'm going to be really candid to you. There are some incredible benefits of being part of a large church like Hope Community Church, but there's some incredible challenges. And the challenge is, because it's so large, and because we have campuses. See, I don't know what campus you're at. I can say, I didn't see you this weekend. Oh, I was at Apex. Go to Apex. Oh, I was at Morrisville. When, oh, I was, I was at Ship of Zion. Well, I was at Ship of Zion. Oh, I was down in Port-au-Prince at Haiti. I just ro- I drove over there this morning, you know. <laughs> Right? You can just show up. You can just sit, listen, leave. And if you play your cards right, nobody has any idea what's really going on beneath the surface of your life. And if somebody does work up the courage to say, How are you this morning? Your answer is probably going to be, I'm fine. Even though your world may be falling apart. Even though your marriage may be crumbling, even though you got a, co- a child that's AWOL, I'm fine. And we go on our merry little way. This is my prayer. My prayer is that God will raise up people in our congregation, people of humility, people the whole world doesn't revolve around them so they can sense that something really is going on beneath the surface. I'm telling you, the biggest need in our relationships today, especially with social media and how we can hide behind it, is for people who are willing to ask, what's really going on? I sense something's not right. Talk to me, how can I help you? Let me tell you something, in your relationship, ask God to give you the ability to see more than what's on the surface. But I'm telling you, you'll never be sensitive to that if you're full of pride. Have you ever talked to someone that maybe they even asked you, hey, how are you doing? You think, you know what, I'm going to tell them. Well, you know what, this week, and they're like, oh, I had the worst week too. This happened, this happened, this happened. And you just shut down, forget. Right, because they're so full of pride. They don't even have the sensitivity, the sense that something, it takes incredible humility to do that. Here's the third characteristic. Humility is as comfortable receiving as giving. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? And on the surface, it looks like humility. Oh, no, you're never going to wash my feet. I'm not worthy, right? That's not humility. You know what it is? It's pride. I mean, let's be honest. Jesus one time said it's more blessed to give than receive. I'll tell you this. It's more difficult to receive than it is to give. Do you know why? Because if someone has to give to us, it means that we have to admit that we actually have needs ourselves. I mean, this whole thing is so threatening to Peter. So he's like, oh, I don't think so. Not these feet. John, fine. Zebedee, woo, he could use it. Matthew, good gracious. Who knows the last time he washed those feet? Yeah. But you're not touching my feet. Mm -mm. That's pride. We try to come across as we don't have any needs. I don't know why it's so hard for us to admit that we have needs and problems and struggles and issues that we're just, we're just human. But I'm telling you, humility means that you're willing to admit, yeah, you noticed. My feet are dirty. Got some challenges. How can you help me? That, here's the fourth one. Humility must be expressed before joy can be experienced. You want to be happy? 
Jesus says it starts with humility. Look at verse 15. I have set you an example that you do as I have done for you. Example of what? I served you. I humbled myself before you. I've set you an example, verse 17. Now that you know these things, now that you know how you should act toward one another, you will be blessed. The Greek word is happy. You will be happy if you do them. Let me tell you something. Humility is not something you can learn on a weekend service or at your small group or in a class. You can't get it from a book. It's something that you only develop when you begin living it out in every area of your life. And according to Jesus, you won't be happy till you do it. And there's only one way I know to get there. At some point, we have to get in our li- to point in our lives where we just make this, this conscious decision. God, it's not about my plans. It's not about my desires. It's not about my wishes. It's all about your desire, your plan, your wishes for me. It's not about my way. I'm more interested in your way. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, your will. It's the only thing I know that will kill pride. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that will sweep it and clean it out of the vault of your life. It takes, it takes humility. When I was a kid, we used to, we used to wrestle. Not wrestling, not, not that fake stuff they do at the Olympics and stuff like that. This is, this is real stuff, you know. Mask, turnbuckles, wedgies, throwing salt, you know, in someone's eyes. As kids, we would roll around in the grass. We would wrestle. We'd wrestle, wrestle. And we'd get people in a hold, or we'd sit on them, and, and we, would, we would not give up until we heard two words. I give. Some of you, God's sitting on you this morning. He's got you in the figure four leg lock. That was one of my favorites. He's got you in the sleeper chokehold, the half Nelson. He's just waiting for you to say, I give. And when you get there, a few years ago, Lord, I had a cool chance. I'm sorry. I'm just tired. Sorry. Um, God used us to bring a neighbor couple to Christ. And uh, just investing in them and loving on them. And I'll never forget one night they said, we want to go to dinner. So we went to dinner. They said, we're Christians. We made the decision. We told our Catholics, we're friends. We're not Catholic anymore. We're Christians. And I'm like, well, that's probably not right to tell them. But anyway, you know. (laughs) They were so excited. Doug and Marie Juris. Doug is now on staff with us here at Hope. Incredible person. Incredible guy. And uh, Thursday night we had dinner with them. And Doug... Uh, right before Christmas, right before Christmas, was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, big tumor. So big they can't operate. It's gotten into some of his lymph nodes. and So he's going through the process now of chemotherapy and radiation. They're shrinking it so they can do the surgery. So we're having dinner, and he looks great. I was just great. And I'm like, man, you look great. He said, Mike, let me tell you something. Even after I accepted Christ, it was all about what could I do? How could I perform? Could I please people? Could I please God? I needed to hear people say, thank you. You're so good. You worked so hard. 
He said, but man, when I got this cancer, I realized it's not about my plan. It's not about my will. He says, I have never been at such peace in my life. He said, I just feel free. Let me tell you something. Humility is a mark of strength. It's not a mark of weakness. I had a profound thought this week. I have one about every three or four years. So you'll be safe for a while after I do this. There are only two things on earth that are eternal. And I'm to spend my time on those two things. Do you know what they are? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away. My word will never pass away. That tells me that God's word is eternal. And that means that any spare moment I can invest in God's word will bring eternal dividends. Gary and I were up in Virginia meeting with some young pastors about how we can more effectively reach our communities and, and reach the world and change the world with the gospel. And there was, there was a youth pastor there who was one of the biggest drug dealers in Lynchburg, Virginia. And he just sat down and started reading the Bible. And he said, one day it just came over me of who Christ was. And I gave my life to Christ five years ago walked away from dealing drugs, is now a youth pastor on church. I'm telling you, any time you can spend immersed in God's word, it is going to have eternal dividends. The other, people. We're all gonna be somewhere forever. We're eternal beings. And so I need to be investing my time with people, beginning with Laura, then my boys, and their wives, and my grandkids, and you, and spreading from there. But I'm telling you, the biggest enemy to doing that will be pride. So let me just give you a question and we'll close. This will, this will help you see how you're doing. How much time did you spend last, last week just with people simply to be a part of God's agenda to change the world? Not to advance your own agenda, to get something out of it for you. Not even just to be sociable. How much time did you actually spend with people last week with the sole purpose of advancing God's kingdom in this world? You say, Mike, what does that look like? Well, I have a new neighbor who started going to Hope, the Apex campus, and she's decided to go back to work. She, she works in oncology at Duke Medical Center, and she came to my house, and she says, Mike, I want you to do me a favor. Can you let me know every time somebody from Hope Community Church is a patient at Duke Medical Center, so I can just go visit them, encourage them, love on them. See, that's what I'm talking about. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? It says a lot about whether you're a person who's just bound up by pride or you're becoming a person of humility. I'm gonna leave you with a couple of verses. You feel like you beat up the day? I gotta listen to this crap four times. I mean, so you mean, you're talking about pressure, getting sick of it, but. I'm sorry, I meant to say carp, that's a fish, it's a fish. It's, does that mean I'm dyslexic or just stupid? But anyway, two verses, maybe they'll encourage you. James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Boy, don't we need that. My tattoo, preach grace. That's what people need, that's what we need. He gives more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And here's my favorite, James 
Humble yourself before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. Let's bow. How are you doing in this whole area? Mess. Can you get pride out of the way so you can just say, God, I give? You know. You know what bothers me even more is that uh, some of you are going to miss heaven because of your pride. The meeting I was at in Virginia, I wrote this down. One of the guys said this. There are a lot of really good people going to really good churches who are going to end up going to hell. And that describes some of you. And at the end of the day, it's because of your pride. Submit to God, surrender to God, accept a free gift. I don't need Jesus to die on the cross for me. I don't need a savior. I'm sure I can impress God on my own. I'll go to church, I'll give some money, I'll do some good deeds, and God will look at me and he'll be so overwhelmed how good of a person I am. How could he possibly keep me out of heaven? But Jesus said, I'm the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You want to get to the Father, you're going to have to go through me. But some of you can't realize that you need saving. But when you get there, you have a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. But you're going to have to get your pride out of the way and accept what God did for you through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know how to do that, talk to the person that invited you. Go by the next step counter as you leave, but make sure you take care of that today. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. While we were yet sinners, you made the first move. You sent your son to die for us. Father, teach us that true joy comes from being humble, from being a servant, by seeking you first, your agenda, your righteousness. And then and only then, Will we be happy? It's not based on our financial status. It's not based on some level we dream of reaching in our career. It's by being a servant and clothing ourselves in humility. May we humble ourselves, Father, knowing that you will lift us up. In your name we pray, amen.